0: This past Wednesday we began a new series of messages entitled From Ashes to Glory. It is the study of Jesus moving from his baptism to the cross, the empty to the cross, the tomb and then the empty tomb at, at his resurrection. And so This morning, we want to look at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, where Jesus is tempted. And I've entitled this morning's message, Tested, because that's exactly what Jesus was. He was tested by Satan. Billy Sunday, the great evangelist of another era, said, Temptation is the devil looking through a keyhole. Yielding is opening the door and letting him in. Turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read together verses 1 through 13. Luke 4, 1 through 13. Now, this is God's Word. We are God's people. If you are able, let me ask you to stand in honor of God's Word as we read Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus left the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, And was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he, that is the devil, took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, indeed, Scripture, Jesus himself teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we do pray today that you would help us to better understand what it is to be tempted, what it is to be tested, and how we can pass the test. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are my rock and my redeemer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lust is the fuel... Of pornography And pornography these days is a major problem, not only in society, but within the church as well. Kent Butterfield wrote, Viewing pornography is not a stagnant sin. Sin begets more sin, because our hearts are desperately wicked. We will justify temptations in our hearts unless we combat them. Rationalization is part of self, the self-deception of sin. How easily we think, this is not that bad. Then soon, oh, not bad at all. Eventually we are saying, this is a good thing. And this is something I desire. My friend, learn to hate your sin. You know, there is no such thing as a secret sin. God knows every sin we commit. And if we are having to hide something that we shouldn't be doing, we shouldn't be doing it. Sin will always creep in as long as we're here on this earth, even among those who love God and faithfully serve Him. But if we're playing that exhausting game of hiding our sin of trying to keep it secret, trying to keep it under wraps, we need to give it up today. Expose it. Bring it out into the light. Turn back to God with an honest heart, and He will forgive you and will use you to bring glory to Himself. You know, no matter how good we have been, and no matter for how long we have been good, none of us can meet God's standard of perfection. None of us can God fulfilled His requirement for perfection by sending His own Son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death and be raised on the third day. You know, Jesus was and is the only perfect man because He is the God-man. He is blameless. He is sinless because He is the Son of God. And that's how He qualified to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because of his right standing with God, Jesus' death and resurrection allow access into the same relationship and standing with God that Jesus has. As Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 says, Also at that time you were without Christ, You were excluded from citizenship in Israel, and the pledges God made in His promise were foreign to you. You had no hope, and you were in the world without God. But now, through Jesus Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what does this passage say? Well, we read verses 1 through 13... That is about Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Further on, Jesus, after he comes back from the wilderness, goes into several synagogues. In one, he reads out loud, "...the Spirit of the Lord is on me, and he healed many sick people." So what does this passage mean? Well, in Luke 4, 1-13, we see the following. First, we see Jesus tempted physically. And the principle here is our hunger must be for the Lord first. We see this in verses 1 through 4. You know, Satan's first temptation is very simple. Jesus is hungry. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has the power to do what he needs to do. There are rocks all around that kind of look like bread. And so Satan says, look, you're hungry Turn that rock into bread and you will be satisfied. No big deal to Satan. But to Jesus, it was a huge problem. It would mean using His divine power for His selfish ends. And that would be a direct contradiction of His divine nature. You know, our welfare does not depend primarily on physical provisions. It depends mainly on our obedience to the Lord, to the Lord's will, to the Lord's word, even if that means physical deprivation. So by applying this passage to himself, Jesus put himself in the same category as the rest of us as true, truly human. Now note. Jesus does not use his divine power even to rebuke Satan. Jesus had the power not only to rebuke Satan, but to move Satan off, way away from him. He could have called called legions of angels to remove Satan, but he didn't do that. Instead, Jesus says, It stands written three different times. He uses three different quotes from the word of God. And we do well to note that. Jesus used the word of God to stand against the devil. And so he took his stand on the inspired and errant word of God. And what Luke does in his gospel is he consistently presents Jesus as an example of how to live the Christian life of as an example for us to follow. Secondly, notice that Jesus was tempted psychologically. And the principle here is we must worship and serve the Lord first and solely. We see that in verses 5 to 8. So after he struck out on the first go-around, Satan took Jesus up on a high mountain. Now we have no clue exactly how Satan did what he does next. But somehow, whether it's in a vision or in some other miraculous way, Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in an instant. Here we have the temptation of Jesus to exalt himself. So what Satan is really asking Jesus here is to renounce his identity as the son of God, and become the son of Satan. Now Jesus would later, in the same gospel, clarify an issue that we need to understand here. In Luke 24, 26, Jesus asked the question, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and then enter his glory? So Jesus clarifies for us, That he had to suffer first. That was part of the plan from the very beginning. What Satan is offering Jesus is a way to get around that. But it would have destroyed the whole universe in the process. So Jesus' response was that of the perfect man. He worshipped and he served the Lord God, his Father, alone. And he wasn't going to bow to Satan, who is a created being. But once again, he takes his stand on the Word of God. Fear the Lord your God, worship Him, and take your oaths in His name. Deuteronomy 6.13 Thirdly, notice that Jesus was tempted powerfully. And in verses 9-12, to we see this principle. We must refuse to put the Lord to the test. So Satan's final temptation, according to Luke, was for Jesus to glorify himself. And Jesus refused to do the very thing that Israel did in the Exodus, and that was constantly putting God to the test by forcing his hand. You brought us out here in the wilderness to die. We're hungry. We're thirsty. Moses is gone. Moses doesn't know where he's going. Instead, Jesus committed himself to simply following the Lord's will in the Lord's time. Notice Satan himself gets in the act of quoting Scripture. He quotes from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But notice, Satan leaves something out to protect you in all your ways. But notice, Jesus responds quickly with another verse from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, 16. Don't test the Lord your God as you tested Him at Massa. And note, ladies and gentlemen that that verse applied just as much to Satan as it did to Jesus or to us. So here we see the truth of James 4 lived out. James 4 says, James 4, 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So how do I apply these principles to my life? Well, in this episode of From Ashes to Glory... The Word leads us to trust the Lord, hope in the Lord, and love the Lord. First notice, the Word leads us to trust in the Lord. Do we desire the will of our Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else? His Word leads us to trust Him. So, are we tempted to be self-righteous? We should hear Jesus say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Are we tempted to turn a blind eye to our own sinfulness? We should hear Jesus say, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Are we tempted to be overbearing in our self-satisfaction? We should hear Jesus say, Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Are we tempted to be complacent in our friendship with the world? We should hear Jesus say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Are we tempted to seek revenge? We should hear Jesus say, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Are we tempted to be self-seeking and self-promoting? We should hear Jesus say, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Are we tempted to create or aggravate conflict? We should hear Jesus say, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Are we tempted to put down others who are seeking to follow Christ? We should hear Jesus say, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Our Lord, Jesus Christ, opposed Satan not in his own power, but in the power of the word of God, and we dare do no less. So we see the word leads us to trust and also leads us to hope in the Lord. First Peter five eight says, "Be sober minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour." It was Jim's first day of high school. You know, everything was going well until three older boys caught him at his locker, took away his lunch, roughed him up, and stuffed him in the locker. You know, they snarled at his attempt to fight back, and they high-fived each other as they walked away. But what the bullies didn't know is that Jim's older brother Was captain of the football team and their star starting middle linebacker. So after lunch, Jim told his brother what had happened, and his older brother looked at Jim and said, "Let's go." And so they walked back to the locker, and there waiting were those three bullies, but this time Jim did not go alone. He came in the strength of his older brother. And those three bullies never messed with Jim again. You know, as Christians, we have a dangerous adversary. As I just read, he he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour us, destroy our faith, drag us off to hell. So when the Apostle Paul instructs the Ephesian church about spiritual warfare, he begins by exhorting them not to go into battle in their own strength. Instead, he reminds them of their elder brother. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So how do we do that? Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. The, the picture here is a spiritual form of kedging. Kedging is a nautical term. It's a method of moving, moving a sailing vessel, typically when, it's, when there's no wind or when there's a fear of um, the, the boat running aground and so they take a, an anchor and whether that's they throw the anchor out or they use smaller boats to take the anchor out they take it out as far as the line will allow they drop it and they winch themselves to the anchor and they use this to pull themselves out of danger to pull themselves toward that place of hope in the same way if we will hold on to Christ by faith, He will connect us to that sense of hope that pulls us into that future He has prepared for us. That's why Hebrews ten twenty three says, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since He who promised is faithful. Now, what is that confession of hope? That confession of hope is found in the Word of God. And, and if we hold on by faith to that rope, to that anchor, He will pull us into that desired future He has for us. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes in, on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before Him, He endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the word leads us to trust, hope, and love the Lord. You know, we are often tempted to test the Lord. On the surface, jumping off the temple may seem like a a powerful demonstration of faith. Nobody would do such a thing unless they really trusted God deeply. So Jesus had such a faith, and he had the courage to match. So from that perspective, Satan's temptation was jumping from the temple. That would be a powerful demonstration of faith, wouldn't it? Well, Jesus knew that jumping from the temple would not show the depth of his faith in his Father. As a matter of fact, it would be a gross act of unbelief. God the Father hadn't asked him to do that. So this this act would be presumption, not faith, not obedience. It would literally be putting the Father and his love for his Son to the test. And the Lord had just said 40 days before that he loved his son. In Luke thirty-two, three twenty-two, rather, we read, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So what does this look like in modern terms? You know, it's, it's one thing if the Lord leads you on a mission to bring the gospel into a dangerous area. You know that you could be killed because that's part of the mission. But you're willing to risk your life for Jesus and you have counted the cost before embarking on the mission. You know, I think about Brother Andrew and Open Doors when they take Bibles to new Christians in Muslim countries, which is their calling and has been blessed by God over and over and over again. But it's another thing entirely... If you willingly put yourself in in the place of danger when you don't have to, then expect God to bail you out. It's even worse when you turn things into a public test, thereby bringing potential reproach on the name of the Lord. I think of the young man who tried to reach a dangerous, unreached tribe in Asia on his own after being warned not to go it alone with these people. Jesus knew that God the Father loved him. Jesus knew that God the Father would protect him. As a matter of fact, we see that just a little later in this this very chapter. He didn't need to have any of that affirmed. He also knew that giving in to Satan's dare was not an act of love, but an act of presumption, an act of distrust, an act of rebellion. You know, when we truly love the Lord with all that we are, we will trust Him and wait for His direction. The Lord has called us to minister with Him. He's the one who's in the lead. We lovingly follow. To do otherwise is at best mistrust and at worst rebellion. So the bottom line here is that the Word of God leads us to trust the Lord, hope in the Lord, and love the Lord. Imagine you had a dog that you called to come to you, but instead of coming to you, it laid down. You'd say that was a bad dog. If you you told your child to pick up her toys, but she said no and sat down, you would say she was a disobedient child. If you instructed an employee to call a client, and that employee didn't call the client, never called him, as a matter of fact, after telling you that he wasn't going to do it, you'd call that a bad employee or maybe even fired. The point is, we notice when someone does the wrong thing, but we... Do we notice when someone does the obedient thing? You know, Jesus here sets an example for all of us. He withstood and overcame Satan's temptations, not by using his divine power, which we don't have, not by using his divine authority, but by using the Word of God. Now, that's something we all can do. We can be obedient. Jesus shows us how. I remember the story of a little boy who was stuck inside a, a house that was fully engulfed in fire. And he was so afraid that even though the firefighters were telling him the way that he could come out, that they had opened up a way where he could escape, he wouldn't come because he didn't trust strangers. But then he heard his father's voice. And his father directed him to the way of escape. And the little boy obeyed, and he was saved. Same is true for us. This is our father's voice. Let us hear it. Escape temptation. And be obedient to him. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that Jesus shows us that we can truly obey the word and the word can keep us from temptation, can keep us from sin. I ask that you would help us to trust your word because we trust you. Maybe there's some that are watching or listening to me now that don't. Fully trust you. And because of some things that have been said, because I've been directing folks to the Word of God, maybe they've seen something, heard something, read something that has been used by the Holy Spirit to lead them to your Son, Jesus. Maybe they'd like to say, I'm sorry, I've, I've gone my own way. I'm, I'm like one of those sheep that is, that's gone his own way but I realized that Jesus paid the price for me so I could come back to God. So forgive me. Help me to turn from my sin and selfishness and turn to you and to trust Jesus not only as the one who forgives me, but also the one who leads me. Maybe there's others that Maybe they prayed a prayer at some time. Maybe they've tried to be obedient, but they haven't fully got there, and they would like to rededicate themselves to Jesus today. It is my prayer that they would do just that. Father, we pray these things now in Jesus' name, amen. You know, if if you prayed a prayer like that, if you prayed a prayer to receive Christ or to come back to Him, to rededicate your life to Him. I would love to hear from you. So you would see on the screen right now ways in which you can contact me. I I pray that you would. I would ask that you get in touch with me, and we will begin a conversation where I can help, help you to understand the commitment that either you have made or want to make. And we can continue that conversation. Talk about next steps. Thank all of you for tuning in today. I pray that the God of grace and peace be with all of you. Amen.